On behalf of myself and B, we acknowledge that we are not indigenous. Rather, we are of settler colonial ancestry. Like many other settler people, we have benefited greatly from living on Turtle Island. As a visitor on this land, we have an important responsibility to acknowledge the grounds on which we are privileged to gather in the pursuit of building community. We are recording today in the traditional territory of the Three Fires Confederacy of First Nations, comprised of the Ojibwe, the Odawa, and the Potawatomi peoples. We are grateful to work, learn, and live in this area. We're making small talk with cool people. Welcome to our show, It's Small Talk! Hello and welcome to a, another episode of Windsor Small Talk. As always, I am your host, B. Zelda, and my pronouns are they, them. And for those who are unfamiliar, Brandon, what is this podcast about? Who are you? Well, I'm your loving life partner and your hopefully not too annoying podcast co-host. And the Windsor Small Talk is a podcast where we have... Small talk with big people doing big things in our community. So if you are new to our podcast and you are here. Padcast. 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 That's the proximity to Michigan right there for you. Um, if you're here because Walter brought you here, make sure you go check out some of our older episodes and figure out what's going on in Windsor and the cool people that we've been talking to. So you said the name of our guest, and I am I very, very excited to speak to this individual. Well, what I what I wanted to do was give everyone a content warning. This episode is going to be very gay. Add <laughs> that to my checklist. <laughs> and it, and all, for all the straight folk who are listening, that sound that you heard is my hand fan clacking. So look it up. Um, so yes, hello and welcome to our guest, Walter Cassidy. Walter, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, thank you so much. I know that there's a lot of people who have been following your career who are really big fans of a lot of the, the change and the advocacy that you've done in the city of Windsor, but like, for folks who have no idea who you are or any of your oodles of accomplishments, can you give us a little bit of an intro? Oh, wow. Um, gee, I don't this know if I can uh, um, say to to uh up to those expectations but i'll try uh so my name is walter cassidy my pronouns are he him i've been an educator for 24 years um in that time i also teach a course at the university on how to teach lgbtq students i um more recently have been delving into the history queer trans history of this area uh, I started that because when I taught the course, most of the students are teachers that I have, and uh, most of them didn't even know that it was illegal in Canada to be gay at one point. Here's a little trivia. Do you know what year it became legal to be gay in Canada? Oh, boy. I feel like a bad gay. Yeah. 1976? Wow, that's pretty bad. Uh, no, uh, it was uh, 1969. Actually. Okay, um, that was so far off. Well, you know, a lot happens between. Yes, actually, in Canadian and Windsor history, a lot happened in between those those time periods. Um, and so, when you're talking to people that didn't even know that it was an issue, 
that people um, could go to jail, um, and people did, for as much as holding hands in public or kissing in public, uh, you, uh, I realized there needed to be a huge history lesson. And so what I did is I started to look at what I want to include, and what I found that what they did know was American. So mm -hmm. the idea that, that uh, gay people didn't exist and still stonewall, or they all were in tiny <laughs> little closets and, you know, in the corners, going back and forth, being... That's honestly, like, the history that I was able to access myself for a good chunk of my life. Yeah, and, and it's just not true. Um, it's much longer than that, and there's amazing players uh, going all the way back to the late 1800s that so far we've discovered and we're still discovering. Um, and so I started to look at that, and then I wanted to find Canadian history. And what I found was mostly, as I like to call it, a Windsor phrase that I've changed a bit, the big three. Um, but I use it as cities, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. So everything's about them. Mm -hmm. And it seems like nothing happened outside of those communities. Um, and of course there is, and there were some references, but the majority of that's what they would focus. Or things would happen in other communities and they would not recognize where they happened or the people of where they were from. Okay. So I started to look at Windsor's history. And in 2010, there was a small book written about people's memories and, they, and, and activism they did. So I started to, that became my starting point. And I found a lot of holes in it, a lot of time periods, a lot of contradictions in it, because it was a lot about people's memories. And so that started my path, and I just jumped into it, and it opened up a huge discovery. Because you know, when I one of the things is um, one of the things I talk about a lot is the the uh, soldiers in Fort Malden who got arrested for being engaging in some fun stuff, um, and uh, in 1842. And if you look at timelines all over Canada. They're in there. Their names, Samuel Moore and Patrick Kelly, they're all there. But not, if not any of them, will mention that it happened in our community. And it was one website that I found that I had to read details, which said sandwich, brackets, Windsor. And I just went, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. And so yeah. it just, you know, so then I started to realize there was way more examples of that and way more people who other cities would call them their own and uh, their, their actual, um, where they grew up, many where they died, where they were loved, were disappeared. Um, and that's from Toronto to Montreal to Vancouver. Um, they're like the person who started the Vancouver AIDS group there was from Windsor. And he's uh, acknowledged in Vancouver and considered an important person. He was actually the first person to take AZT in Canada. And when he died, uh, Brian Maroney even spoke in the parliament. And he was a Windsorite. And he actually was very involved in Windsor before he moved out to Toronto. And he went out there to teach. That's amazing. And just for our listeners that don't know what AZT is, it was one of the first breakthroughs in treatments for HIV and AIDS. And it has a bit of a controversy 
based on its um, harmful side effects that it had on the people that used it as their treatment. And also just to get it. Because people were desperate. Yeah. They were dying and they wanted something. And yeah. it worked for Anything. a very small amount of people, but it did help yeah. some people. Um, and then that got me to uh, finding first. And, and, and it was like with the first bathhouse raid. The new Windsor Star even said it was the first one that ever happened. So I Googled some major scholars in the country who have written a major, major books uh, about uh, queer trans history. And I said, hey, look, I found this. And they were like, yeah, we don't believe it. And, and we're not sure because that was all there was, right? And, mm. and before that, the first bathhouse raid, I think, was 71, they thought. And this was 64. So it was a big wow. difference. A time period and so but then I was able to find more information and then I was able to get it published and then you know things like that it just kept on going I kept on finding more unique things and then uh, some of the scholars like I keep on putting oh here's another Windsor first and they they keep on saying stop <laughs> doing that and, and <laughs> because it always changes right and then I said yeah. but I like that I'm not a scholar I'm having fun to find these things out and to just start the conversation, um, especially when it's not Toronto. I think it's really fun, too, because, like, I can't even tell you how many times I've been to Fort Malden on field trips. We never once heard anything about soldiers being gay. We never heard about that. Now that's something we can add to that. Yeah. So those field trips have a little more spice. Oh. All of a sudden, we're interested in history, you know. Well, and what's <laughs> interesting about that that year, 1942, was a very, very important year because it was actually a period where a whole bunch of soldiers were actually deserting. They had a huge issue with tons of wow. people leaving, and there's some different debates of why. Um, but uh, I've have no proof of this. But then I would think, mm -hmm. hmm. Could, they started to implement methods to try to stop them to reach, to uh, leave. So I wonder yeah. if this was one of the methods. Because what's also Makes strange sense. is they were prosecuted at in Sandwich Courthouse, not in a military environment. So it's like a, a local problem, you know, like they're they're putting their local uh, hatred laws yeah, and, against these soldiers. It's not even a military thing. And I have the list of the um, uh, people who were on the jury, and they were all local people. previous episode we got to talk to willow key about the mcdougall street corridor and her participate in the her participation rather in the jane's walk and other walking tours that focus on the history of racialized windsorites and how they had a flourishing community um that is been gutted and mm -hmm. so it was really cool to let people know that this exists, that they can go to the website, they can take the tour themselves, they can sign up for notifications and for future tours. So you did something like that. You participated in some of these events and helped share your research with Windsor and anyone who wanted to know. So can you talk a little bit about sure. that? Well, the people who created it, because I saw the website and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. 
And I've actually, I was starting to do some type of walking tours myself before I knew about the website. Um, and I actually reached out to uh, people on my social media to try to figure out what to, how to do it because I wasn't sure. And I also applied for a grant through Wira and we didn't get it. And so I was kind of sad because I thought it was a great thing and I made to the finals, but I don't know, I talked too much, which is typical of me. <laughs> um, but, um, and so I reached out and the creators of, of, the, uh, of that website reached out to me and, and said, you know, we have this. Uh, and so we started to chat and uh, they were very excited about to, to create uh, use the software they developed and everything to create uh, the queerwalk.ca. And so I worked with them and basically gave them all the material and the, and the images. And we came up with uh, three different types of tours, uh, which was like a bus tour, a walking tour, a biking tour, or a driving tour type oh, thing. Oh, cool. Um, mm -hmm. And quite similar. The uh, queer communities, most of their spaces were demolished on purpose as well for mm -hmm. different reasons. But I haven't proven this, but it just makes me think that a lot of gay spaces, um, they were run-down areas, especially pre-Stonewall, where uh, what I've read from other scholars is that if you're gay, you don't go to a high, well-known space. And who else mm. could you see there? Uh, and um, but then what I also made a connection is that with the Detroit connection, um, going to bars along the river was a great way to meet people that you would not see again. Um, so Detroit tourists and so forth um, coming off the ferry and things like that. And so there were a lot of spaces that actually were very close to this commute concept. And uh, like the the British American Hotel, which was uh, stable in Canada for hundreds of years and was torn down in 1970, I believe. Um, that's where basically, uh, sort of where the big Canadian flag is. They have a, a, a fountain. Okay. Okay. They have one little corner stone that recognizes that history. But um, in the... I don't know how far back it goes, but one person who was interviewed in the 90s said that it was a gay space going all the way back to the 30s. I can prove yeah. it going back to the early 60s because it was a known gay space on gay uh, travel guides. <laughs> Well, and that makes sense because as technology allowed media to evolve, we could disseminate information a little bit more, creation of flyers. Well, the and... travel guides were small little books, and they fit in your pocket. And it basically, it was, you know, um, set up that um, all of, and depending on the guide, it was just America or North America or the or Europe and so on, but it was a way that you would, if you went to a community, you found out where the safe places were. Yeah, and so, and they, there's some actually really early, and there is, in Detroit, there was uh, the the Mattachine group there called One, One in, uh, in Detroit, actually had 
their own version and they included four spaces in Windsor. But the British American Hotel wasn't a part of it and that was in the late 50s. So that's why I'm wondering if that actual is true because it was enlisted by that Detroit mm -hmm. person. Um, so, but it's, you know, it's kind of neat. There's lots of, but I know I can go like in the 1940s. That's the earliest I can truly document or sort of document because uh, we know the space in the 1940s because of when Windsor had a serial killer going around killing gay people. Um, a woman was interviewed and she thought this person was gay because the spaces that these people were getting killed were gay spaces. And she even mentioned um, that it could be a bar um, because that's where all they that's where they all hang out. And that was called the Ambassador Hotel. And that was just off Riverside, very close British American Hotel. And actually, uh, part of it, it it's, a, it's a confusing story because it took me a while to figure it out because it then became the Ritz. And then the Ritz became the first gay bar in Windsor officially. But, but the, the, okay. the history of it's a little confusing because there were two Ritzes. There was a Ritz that was just across the street from the British American Hotel. Um, and that's not it. So it's confusing, confusing. But, and it took me a while to figure it out. So can we just stop to acknowledge that Walter just gave us the gay crime story like of our lives that happened in our own backyards <laughs> like all you enthusiasts that are like chase those murder podcasts we have a serial killer in windsor That's i mean scary and crazy on one hand i'm like ooh, serial killer but on the other hand i'm like oh no they were killing only gays like can't you kill i don't like i don't want to condone like you know any kind of murder but it's just like it <laughs> it's extra ick um yes. patrick broad uh wrote a book about it so it's actually published um and he's actually been really helpful to me but what's different about this thing is that the windsor community was very happy with what he was doing um and started the um what yeah uh, after they caught him they uh the city was in uprise and had protests and uh met with the city and they came up with this task force to go after sex crimes mm -hmm. and the <laughs> first examples of auxiliary police in ontario were created where all where uh, a bunch of parks and recs employees were basically deemed police officers and uh to round mm. up queer people in public spaces yeah looking at the cruising hot spots and being like you two people can't sit on that yep. park bench together yep and that's where and, the auxiliary uh, police uh, comes from and no one knows thanks I hate well it. people do know no i had but, no idea um, and uh i uh, the police website alludes to it but doesn't because how they solved the case was one of the victims lived and in the hospital he told the truth and because of that he was arrested and he was put in jail wow so it had nothing to do with the task force they didn't actually save no. anybody they ruined lives it was just like the sheer luck that a victim happened yep. to survive Dang. yeah they went through his personal belongings and found some naughty pictures in his wallet and then they, and then mm -hmm. he told them what happened and the 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 local judge only gave him I think it was seven or eight months and said that he should feel grateful 
because he should have gotten longer, but because he was injured by the attack, he was given that amount of bail. What? Yeah, I don't feel good about this one. (laughs) There's some satisfying, like, conclusions to serial serial killer stories, but not, not this one. I do want to lead this into Weira a little bit, the Windsor-Essex Rainbow Alliance, for folks who don't know. So, like, my introduction to Weira was, like, there's this Facebook group where if you know some local queer Windsor history, share it there. Um, Turns out it's a lot more than that. Uh, Do you want to talk about, like, I know Weira has some amazing accomplishments, especially, like, uh, this year, but for folks who are unfamiliar, what do they do there? that ended up happening because um, I was asked to do a talk for uh, the Rotary during uh, COVID. And so um, I, I did a presentation to them and I've always wanted to um, have some type of monument or, or acknowledgement of our history in this area. And I never knew how to do it. And I would talk to people and they're like, yeah, sure. And But there was no real kind of method to codify it and so i did this workshop and then i told them about how this history and how there's nothing to represent it uh that acknowledges its its history and so forth and uh they responded was we want to help you and so there was about five or six people from rotary and they they said okay we want to help you make this happen and they said to me now you need to get the queers and i mean they didn't say it that way right? <laughs> gather us up and so <laughs> i i got some people who i've worked with before mostly um uh, one person i didn't know stephanie pest but i was told a lot of great things about her so i asked her and uh then we started to meet and then we started to figure out what the heck are we and so we decided that we we were very clear that we're a group of individuals so it wasn't a rotary. They were they were supporting us and so on and helping us. But we're just individuals who want to change that um, um, that lack of archives, lack of, of, of materials, lack of knowledge um, and work on, you know, something permanent to acknowledge that history. So one of the people who is part of it, uh, Richard Karen, who uh, used to be the dean of mathematics at the university. He helped. Um, he, oh, I know him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he helped to uh, with the archive, so that there were no archives in in Windsor. Uh, the university had a small donation, but they hadn't started something really concrete, um, and so made connections there. And he also met with the president to get funding to to fund a graduate student to organize stuff and so on, because I was starting to collect stuff and I didn't know what to do with it. Yes. And then the museum at that point only had a button. That's the only thing they ever um, archived. And so oh. uh, I, I started to work with them. And then we started to look at funding and trying to make that change. And uh, we went to the city and said, we want a permanent monument somewhere. And they recommended Lansbury Park. And then they said there was a lot of changes to be made on Lansbury Park, and they actually 
proposed some great ideas, which none of it is happening now, and I won't get into that. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, we got a grant to then at least do rainbow park benches. And so we got yes. those in Lansbury Park. And uh, so we were able to establish these different methods to get the history, to change that history. So now people actually have some knowledge and now it becomes to keep that push. And my latest push um, personally, uh, where we're still talking about it because it's, it's a complicated thing because the idea of a monument is, is complicated. But I'm a big advocate mm. that John Damien needs a monument. Um, yes. And um, uh, we did apply for a grant and we got uh, uh, rejected by the city. But they, I was told it was because they don't know much about him, which makes it a little difficult because it's hard to get to time my head. And also that they want more support <laughs> by community members. So we're going to still work on that. And it, those are valid uh, reasons. Um, and so we're going to work hard to try to change that. Um, and that gets his, I think he, he should be known. Absolutely. And every yeah, kid should absolutely. know him. Which gets into, I'm going to do the segue now myself, (laughs) of what I'm currently doing. Which is, uh, recently I'm now working for the Canadian Museum for Human Rights as their education in educator in residence. Uh, they're out of Winnipeg. The, it's an incredible museum, just incredible. I, I keep on telling them, um, so for the queer trans people out there, uh, it's like going to a queer bar or going to Pride, that building. I've never felt so welcome and Seriously? so not tokenized, Ooh. not um, uh, uh, othered. I, I met tons of queer people and tons of people from all different backgrounds, and it was the incredibly safe space that I haven't experienced outside of those two concepts. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really wonderful to hear. Um, and I still wonder why they picked me. But anyways, that's a whole other issue. Um, but part of it was because, I mean, like, you've been talking about your okay, resume. So part Come of it on. was because I told them <laughs> and proposed a method on a national level that all the research that I've done, um, I've, I've had to kind of figure it out myself with guidance. I, I had a huge guidance from a scholar in Texas, of all places. He does, he has an amazing yeah. website. He does the history of female impersonators and queer music. And he has an amazing website cool. with tons of resources. So I contacted him and I said, this is what I'm doing. And he gave me some great advice on how to start looking through documents and so on. And so I started to realize that, and people were telling me, um, you know, you need to document the way you find these things. Because I'm like, ah, I just mm-hmm. do it, right? And so I, I approached them with the idea of getting students to do it, teaching students in different rural communities so they actually will, and that's kind of like the GSA method, right? GSAs were student uh, initiated clubs where they're supposed to be in charge and what seems to always happen is they end up teaching teachers how to be good teachers um, and how to be <laughs> teachers. Student so voice. I guess it goes with that same concept that 
if I help them, uh, they can actually start doing research to find about queer and trans representations in their communities. And then you, and then because the connection with the museum was to create these kind of mini museums where they put on display their findings as well as I would write uh, resources. So cool. what's already in existence. So like people like John Damien, so they are included in things like that. There's so many people from all over the country that has to be uh, Jackie Shane, you know, there's so many. Um, and then, so then that also teaches them here, you have to make sure and have make sure the intersectionality of it all. And so that you have this wonderful mm -hmm. array of individuals and events that can be celebrated in their school. And for me, I've always said the key to changing our education system is, is, is visibility. Um, and that, um, we're, that's what has to happen is that people have to acknowledge um, those histories. And one example I always use is Ang Angela, Angela James, who's the hockey player. She's a black hockey player in Canada and is considered, I hate this phrase because I think it's wrong, uh, the uh, Wayne Gretzky of women's hockey. And I, I don't like that connection because yeah. it's, it's, yeah, exactly. Um, but she is in the um, Hockey Hall of Fame, and she's a very proud queer woman. So she's also the first gay person in the, uh, out gay person in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But those are never put. So when she's always in Canadian Black History Month, um, celebrations, but that queerness of her is never included. So this is what I'm also trying to help to do. Is so to to make sure those 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 other aspects are are included too, and then and unfortunately sometimes it's the kids who are the ones who don't have the concerns about presenting those type of things, and so to help. So I wanted to create mm -hmm. resources to help them kind of go through that and so this is definitely high school but um and then i'm supposed to also there's a touring exhibit going around the country on the lgbtq purge and what if your viewers don't know what that is was between the 1950s to 90s people in government positions or the military were fired for being gay uh, lesbian or trans, mm -hmm. is this also sorry? a lavender scare is that that's also known version. as the Lavender yes. Scare? Yeah, the American, the American yes. I was going to so say, that's like the U.S. America, they call it the Lavender Scare. And here, um, it's normally called the LGBTQ Purge. Um, and it wasn't until okay. 2019, I believe, when the federal government officially apologized and created a fund. And so there's an actual group, uh, core group, that helps with this fund and uh, two, they're doing lots of projects, but two of the major projects is one, they're doing a monument in Ottawa, oh, and the wow. other one is this this uh, traveling exhibition. And I've been asked to um, create and support or um, be part of the team to create K-12 resources that goes with it. It's really cool. And, and, and I like how you mentioned that you want to involve students and you want to empower them because we really have to put more trust in students' own agency. They are capable of 
researching science and other social issues. So why can't they research their own community? And so we need to empower them. That's so awesome. So I'm the third educator in residence. They've had two others. The last one, Sarah, she focused on anti-Black racism and came up. And each educator in residence is supposed to create a legacy project. So I had to, uh, I wrote an eight-page proposal of this to them and then went through interviews and so on. And Sarah, she came up with this uh, Pass the Mic. And this is all on their website. And it's called their website, which is the best. It's humanrights.ca. Like, and that's my email. I love my email nice. is my name at humanrights.ca. That's so amazing. And the first project was a project called uh, Be an Upstander. And this is a concept which I just adore, which is the idea is for students to uh, identify social justice issues in their communities. And it's, it started off being four to eight. There is a high school high school version of it, but uh, the teacher who was in charge of it, mm-hmm. uh, he, he that's his area. And so the idea is for them to identify issues in their community. And then what they do is they come up with methods to show those issues. And then the next thing is to take action to create positive change from those issues. I love that. So one of the reasons I think why I fit, because my proposal had a similar method of trying to find those issues, bringing out those issues, and then celebrating those issues. I was just really going to add at the beginning that, uh, you know, when you're like, you know, you want to empower students to be able to do their own research, to access this information on their own, because like they will be interested. When I was like, I don't know, a uh, 10, 10, we'll say I was reading gay fan fiction. So like, had I known that I could have, you know, taken my love of queer fanfic and turned that into some community change, I probably would have. You probably could have had a better time in history class if <laughs> yes. you were allowed to study what you wanted to study. Right, right. <laughs> I want to know about all those Yeah, things. I mean, it's, <laughs> and that's why I like the museum. I mean, they also have um, uh, the Witness Blanket, which is a, it's an incredible exhibit of um, artifacts that people, that Indigenous people who went through the, the uh, residential school system, and they... Um, um, this blanket, it's not a blanket, it's its made of wood and, and each of these pieces are like kind mm-hmm. of a quilt inside the blanket type thing. And they're all documented of why okay. they kept them. Why did, and they, they um, and so the website, they talk about what this piece means to them and so on. And that's actually has been on tour and they're doing a replicate version around the country. And what I really like is the, the witness blanket is being given personhood. So it, it's considered its own entity and no one can own it. And so it's, it allows, mm-hmm. so right now it's allowing itself to eventually be housed at the Museum of hum, uh, for Human Rights. And it will stay there as, until they, it decides it doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, I think oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> and that's all like, accessible online. And I'm hoping to, uh, in my role, to work with the school boards to bring these type of things to the schools. So with the LGBTQ purge, I've told them, I said, okay, I'm supposed to help with this. So you need to bring it to Windsor and, you know, things like that. So I'm really hoping that a lot of these things will happen. 
and as well as the museum does live virtual tours. And so, which I think is so cool because a lot of people think when they think about, okay, where is this museum? I was just going to ask you, I'm like, I'm never going to go to Winnipeg. No shade to Winnipeg. I'm sure it's lovely, but like, I barely leave my house. So like, I want to see this museum so badly. And I want, I was just going to yes. ask, what about yeah. virtual so they have them. tours? Absolutely. Um, and and it, it actually, you know, so good. from being on Ontario, you know, we think Ontario, Quebec is the, cu- the country, right? So, yeah, so, because <laughs> we, you know, think Toronto or Ottawa is where it should be. But in reality, and they, you know, they taught me uh, a lot when I was there. You know, the middle of the country is around there, right? And, and actually, its yeah, history is really interesting because it was based on a man who was Jewish and a Holocaust survivor who would bring students from Winnipeg to the Holocaust Memorial in Museum in Washington, D.C. And he did this every year. And at one point he decided, why can't I just have something here? And so it started off, that was the start of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up morphing into the uh, Canadian Museum for Human Rights. And they have a Holocaust section to it. So it's really, yeah, so it's, it makes perfect sense. So it came from, and see, that's one of the amazing things. My For me to be able to do this job was all from donations. That's so incredible. Like enough people are willing to support and make yeah. sure history is preserved. Yes. Because we can't change the future if we don't know where we've been. Mm-hmm. We don't understand what's happened in the past. We're doomed to repeat now, all it is our a crown worst mistakes. Corporation. So then, you know, they did work for the federal government. The federal government gives them money now and so on. So it's considered that. So it's but its history is really mm-hmm. interesting. And to be honest, I really like that it's in Winnipeg. The place where it is is incredible. It's called uh, the Forks, which were uh, different rivers coming together. And there's a huge, long indigenous history of a meeting place in that area. Really oh, wow. interesting. The history there, the spaces, I mean, the buildings are gorgeous. Absolutely. And what it's set up is you start in darkness and then you move up and there's actually a tower where you can just, and it's all glass around you. So you're all around light. So the whole idea is to kind of like, you start with the bad things and you end up with hope. So the design of it, it makes a lot of sense. I love that. That's beautiful. So we have to go to Winnipeg now, right? Yeah, I guess we're going. I guess we're going. I mean, I wrote down a bunch of questions and you answered all of them as you were talking. But the only thing that I really have left to ask is how do you manage a work-life balance? You are like, uh, you know, historian, advocate, educator. You are a parent? A parent? Yeah. I've been asked this a a bunch of times and people are like, because I would go through my bio and I, I remember at one point in front of teachers and I actually heard them, wow, that guy definitely is not a parent. And I said, oh, yeah, and I'm a parent. And then they were like, "Like, no way. And I think it's priorities. I really think because um, it's based on what you, you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find the time. I am sleeping. Um, there's no question about that. I mean, I watch my favorite shows. I mean, <laughs> I was just talking to someone else in Winnipeg and with some events that have been going on. 
they were talking about trying to have to do positive things in your life. And they said they have a certain movie they like to watch over and over again. And the key was because they already know it. So they don't have to think about it. So I thought about that and I said, oh, crap, I do that. Right now, I'm, yeah. I'm just before I go to bed, I watch an episode of Will and Grace. <laughs> yeah. Well, before that, which is says my age big time, is Newhart. No, the Newhart, the second one, the 80s one. Where that he was in the inn. I don't know why, but I've always loved that show. Oh, and you know, this my brother Daryl, <laughs> my other brother Daryl. Yeah, you guys are like, yeah. So the age, the, the age experience is coming out big time. No, I have no idea. <laughs> Not a clue. <laughs> I remember watching it when it came out in the eighties, and there's just something about it that I I like to just. Watch that as well, but at one point I was like, okay, I need, because I need to switch it up. And so, yeah, just going through all the will and graces again. And there is an element of just, yeah, you know. It's... <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're doing that for Windsor Essex and bringing people into the know and our history out of the darkness into the light. Because the more we share our stories, the more we can humanize each other and empathize with each other and learn from the past and not repeat our mistakes. Walter, thank you so, so, so much for talking to us about your work and for doing the work and sharing with everyone. And so if we were to direct someone to where your work exists online, where would we send them? Um, so there's the queerwalk.ca. You can visit that and do your own walking tour. Windsor Pride Fest has my timeline, which starts in 1803 all the way up to 2022, I believe. If you want to read about, because uh, I also wrote an article about the first recorded person to die of AIDS who was from Windsor. And his name was Bill Kavinsky, and that's published from Extra Magazine online. So that's available there. If you want to learn more about um, uh, the bathhouse raid and I mean, living history, if you type first bathhouse raid in Canada, you'll find it anyways. And when it comes to the Human Rights uh, Museum, their address is humanrights.ca, so they have a perfect one. And then I'm on there simply as the new education educator in residence, and it does a kind of... Uh, bio of what I want to do and so on but yeah um, and then we're uh, we're on Facebook but we are closed simply because once again uh, I'm using community people to help me discover things mm -hmm. and so it takes a while for people to feel trusting to open up so normally if you want to be part of that you need someone to know someone who's already part of it who kind of vouches for you because we're always looking for more archives so example i just connected with a man in toronto who used to work at the ritz uh, uh gay bar in the 70s and he has pictures of the drag queens in the 70s uh, performing like huge 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 and that was less than a month ago i nice. found a connection so so just a reminder that was Weera or windsor essex rainbow alliance but you gotta know somebody who knows somebody to get in Ooh, it's exclusive. Well, Walter, this has been absolutely fantastic. I've written down all of the links. You've provided me with so many details. Um, I have like a lot of follow-up questions, but like not 
not right now, just like in general. I want to um, go explore first and then come back and ask you. Yes. Um, so thank you so much. Yeah, Walter, it's always great talking to you. Thank you for always listening and being um, a bouncing board, sounding board for my crazy ideas. So I appreciate you. Oh, well, you've done some wonderful things. And thank you. That's very kind. I That's one of the things I always wonder if I if I, I should be listening more. So I appreciate that. So is that a good place to... Yeah. I think we got a good Hit ending. And I'm going to hit this one of these many stop buttons. We're making small talk with cool people. Welcome to our show, It's Small Talk! Hey y'all, B Zelda here because I know you have not heard enough of my voice, but I'm just popping in to remind you all that we have a Patreon page. It is something that is building and budding like the flowers in springtime. Currently, you can get exclusive snippets and previews to episodes before they come out, as well as Bronwyn and I will be trying and playing a handful of two-player and co op tabletop games and I'm a huge fan of indie games because why not get creative with the way that we tell stories and gamify it so everybody else can have as much fun make sure you follow us on patreon we are Windsor Small Talk take care